Resurface is a podcast presented to you by me, your host, Emily Utrup. In each episode, I'll talk to athletes and industry leaders who have faced adversity. And through shared vulnerability, I'll explore the mental and emotional challenges they have faced and discover the strategies they have used to not only bounce back, but to come back stronger than ever. I want to motivate and inspire you to show your vulnerability, acknowledge your fears, and to follow your dreams. We are here today with Mimi Lamontagne. You're with us all the way from the US. Mimi, welcome to Resurface. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to yeah, hear about your story today. We met a few months ago, I think, in Portugal when we were both doing some work for Red Bull. And yeah, we got to talk a little bit about your story. And uh, then we've been trying for a while to find a time to do the interview. So I'm really excited that we are finally on it. Yes, same. And sorry, sorry it's taken so long to get to this moment, but we're finally here. <laughs> we're here. Yeah. So... Yeah, so today I think we're just going to dive into your story. You have a really exciting career. I would love to hear more about that, how you got into working for lots of different extreme sports brands and in the surf industry and snowboard industry. But you also had an accident with a traumatic brain injury that we're also going to talk about and we talk about mental health. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be a really exciting conversation. Let's do it. <laughs> so Mimi, I think um, I would love to hear like how your story with extreme sport and your career, how it all started. So if you can run us through it, that would be amazing. Okay, yeah. Um, so I grew up in California and I started surfing when I was 12 or 13, probably. Um and I just really loved it. Um, my brother was a bit of an, my older brother was a bit of an adrenaline junkie. Um, and I think he passed that on to me from a young age. So once I kind of found uh, a niche in surfing and in sport that I really enjoyed, I latched onto it. Um, and when I was 16, I want to say, I got an internship at Transworld Surf at the time under Chris Cote. Um, mm. And so that was kind of the first thing I, I really enjoyed writing um, and obviously the surfing aspect of it. And to me, I kind of viewed uh, potentially pursuing a career in sport as, you know, a lifestyle choice and something that would allow me to combine, you know, a passion for storytelling and for writing with the lifestyle that I really enjoyed. And I think athletes have a lot, like, as you know, you're doing a podcast with athletes, the stories that they have to tell is super interesting and um, can make a difference. So, I mean, I probably wasn't thinking that deeply at 16 years old, but <laughs> um, that's kind of how I got into originally um, like this path. Um, and then, yeah, I did that for about a year. Um, and at the in that time, I kind of graduated high school, got a GED, that sort of thing. And um, when I was 18, I decided I really wanted to go to Australia. Um, and so I, Chris helped me uh, get in contact with the guys at Stab. Mm. Um, at the time, Stab was a like a pretty new outlet. Um, and so 
I reached out to somebody there and they were like, yeah, sure. Come on over. We have some work for you. Uh, and so I got on a plane at 18 with my best friend and was supposed to stay for three months and stayed for 12 years. Oh, wow. That was, yeah. That was an extension. Just a little. Um, but, you know, you move somewhere when you're 18 and then life happens and opportunities come up and I kind of just took them and ran with it. So that was kind of the jumping off point for me. So you went to Australia. Did you then, did you study there or did you just go straight into to work? Uh, I went straight into work. I did bits and pieces as a freelancer for Stab and I was working at a bar um, just to make money. When I moved to Australia, I had $500 in my bank account. Um, so had to make some money pretty quickly and yeah, it was, it was a, a re very fun time. Yeah. So I, I jumped straight into work. I ended up finishing uni, um, on the gold coast a couple of years later, but I did take some time off. That's so exciting. And then you, you started working with some of the bigger brands, right? I think you started working for Rip Curl. Was that after you finished uni or was? Yeah. So that was after I finished uni. Um, I was at Stab for a little while doing bits and pieces. And then I moved up to the Gold Coast uh, after a year to finish uni. Um, and in that time, I did some work for Australia Surfing Life magazine. Um And that was kind of the first actual like real job that I had. Um, I did that for a couple of years. And through that, um, I met a lot of people, one of which uh, was the marketing um, director at Rip Curl, um, Neil, Neil Ridgeway. And he kind of, you know, we stayed in touch over the time, over a longer period of time. And a couple of years after I had been working at Surfing Life, after I graduated uni, I was um, living in Indonesia and teaching at a travel writing course for uni students. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to Ridgeway and um, I think I, it, so Rip Curl has a, like a marketing um, mantra called the search and it's a whole thing that they do. I reached out to Ridgeway and I think I said something along the lines of like, Hey, you guys could be doing way more with, like the investment that you're making in these huge trips, all I see is X, Y, and Z, and this is what I would do. Um, and he was like, cool, go on a trip for us. <laughs> and oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was pretty rad. Um, and I did. And then when I got back from the trip, uh, he, they offered me a full-time job at their headquarters in Torquay, looking after their um, communications department, which was actually just me. Uh, <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. So I moved down to Torquay and I spent four years there working under Ridgeway um, and with the marketing team, uh, yeah, running the global communications, which was an extremely big learning experience. Oh, I can imagine. That was, was that the last job you did before you decided to move back to the US? Yes. So um, I, yeah, I worked at Rip Curl for four years and in that last kind of year, I thought, you know, it was time for me to maybe move back to the States. It'd been a long time. I would like to experience what it was like as an adult to live, you know, in, in where I'm from. Uh, and an opportunity came up at Red Bull, um, kind of through all of the different people that I knew, um, through X amount of years in the industry. I think that has definitely been the most important thing throughout my career, like the connections that I've made and the friendships that I've, I've made have really helped Mm -hmm. We get to where I am. Um, so yeah, a connect, uh, an opportunity came up at Red Bull to uh, 
as a contractor to work in their global surf team. And I signed that contract in March of 2020 and quit my job in March of 2020 at Rib Curl. And then a week later, COVID happened. Oh my um, God. Yeah. Yeah. And so originally the intention was to move to LA um, in March or April to, to kind of start this new contract. Um, but obviously uh, that didn't happen for a while. So I worked remotely from Australia until the end of the year. Um, and then I got an exemption because the borders to Australia were shut. And so when I did get an exemption to leave the country, I took it. Um, and then, yeah, I moved back to the States in January 2021. Was it the job at Red Bull that kind of made you decide to move back to the US? Or had you had those like thoughts for a long time? I've, I, yeah, it was a combination of a lot of things. To be honest, I'd wanted to go back to the States for a long period of time, but opportunities like rip curl kept coming up. Um, mm. And it was, re it really, when you're living a life, you have to like really make a conscious decision to make a big move like that. And it does take a fair bit of time to get there. And I felt like it was just the right time. So then you moved back in uh, 21, you were back in, uh, and then shortly after that, you had your accident. Is that correct? Yes. So I moved back in January 2021. And then uh, about two months later, uh, it was, I, I, I was living up at um, a town called Whitefish, Montana, and it's a little resort town. It was closing day on the hill. And um, yeah, I hit my head a little bit too hard. And I have hit my head a little bit too hard many times. Uh, and yeah, that was definitely a life changing day. <laughs> So every time you hit your head, has that been snowboarding or also doing other things? Uh, I've had a couple of different concussions over the years. Um, snowboarding, surfing, car accident, um, mm. all kind of compounding. And I have never really paid much attention or I had never really paid much attention to them. It was kind of always like, oh, you don't feel great for a few days and then you go back to reality. Um, and then... Yeah, when I hit my head this time, um, I was wearing a helmet, um, but helmets are only rated to a certain speed and impact, so it didn't really uh, do its job, although I'm sure it helped a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I hit my head and I kind of, when I first happened, I was like, I'm definitely concussed, but whatever, I'm fine, like doesn't, and I kind of just like got back up and kept snowboarding um and then that night when I got home I was like whoa I don't feel good I can't really see um I'm not thinking clearly like what's going on and I remember like staying up all night on the phone to because I don't know everyone I don't actually don't know if this is true or not but you shouldn't go to sleep when you have a concussion so I was like oh, I yeah. gotta stay awake because I'm gonna die if I go to sleep um oh. But yeah, um, and then the next morning I went to the hospital and it kind of all kicked off from there. But yeah, it was, I think I didn't realize how bad it was until the next day when I like tried to go to a coffee shop and was like, nope, can't, can't do that. Okay, because you couldn't see or you were, had, did you have headaches? So Yeah, pretty much everything, like your coordination, like my coordination skills were just non-existent. I saw, I almost immediately started seeing double 
um, mm. like crazy headaches uh, from like noise and noise and light and all of that sort of stuff. Like moving became really hard. I, I remember that night, like trying to chop vegetables and being like, I can't hold a knife. This is not safe at all. Um, and then from there, yeah, I spent, I would say like four months just like in bed pretty much. And because there's nothing you can do, like you just have to give it time. Or- yeah, I started, so it took a minute to get in to see a proper neurologist, but um yeah, the, for the first like for the first six weeks, I literally just slept. Um, mm. I slept pretty much every day, all day. My mom came up and hung out with me for a week at one point to make sure that I wasn't dying. Um, and yeah, I pretty much just stayed in my room and slept for about six weeks. And then I was finally able to get in to see a neurologist. Um, and I started seeing him once every couple of weeks. And he referred me to a vestibular physiotherapist who I saw twice a week for about three months. And that was super helpful. That was the first thing that kind of got me back to a place where I could function and like get out of bed and mm-hmm. talk to people um, that like started helping help helped start get me like my cognitive function back a little bit and my motor skills back a little bit. And yeah, and then additionally to that, I started seeing a functional therapist, Chelsea Moore. She is really like nutrition based. So I started a whole regiment of supplements um, and completely changed my diet and how I kind of lived my day to day life. She like specializes in brain injuries. So she was really helpful in, um, I mean, especially during that first phase when you don't understand what's going on, it was really hard to like cut myself slack to be like, okay, you shouldn't be doing this stuff. Like, it's okay that you can't. Um, I remember she told me something. It's like everyone gets a hundred points a day, right? And for you, making coffee is one point because you're a normal functioning human being. If you have, if you're, if you're like dealing with concussion making coffee might be 25 points. And Mm. if you run out of points for the day, like you're going to start feeling really bad. And so it's just making sure that you ration those points appropriately and only like do little bits and pieces. You know, after talking to Kelsey, I learned a lot more about the brain injury than I knew before. And because I also been concussed a few times also through my car accident and, and stuff again. And I always was like, oh yeah, it's just, give it a rest for a week or a few weeks and then I'm fine, you know? When did you realize, oh, this was actually a longer process than just resting for some time? And and even when you start functioning normal, there was still, you still had stuff to deal with because of that. Yeah, I think it was, there were kind of two moments. Well, I would say three. After about three weeks of like not being able to do anything and just like sleeping all the time, I was like, this is not what has happened before. This is not normal. I don't feel okay. I can like, you know, I, I was really, really impaired. Like I couldn't do anything. I think that I listened to a lot of podcasts <laughs> and like went for very, very small walks. Um, mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. And I, at that point I was like, okay, this is not the same. I'm going to have to really like figure out what's going on. And I looked into post-concussion syndrome and was like self-diagnosed myself of just like, okay, this is what this is going to be. And when you look into post-concussion syndrome, it's like three months or six months. And um, 
it kind of like leads you down a couple of different paths of these are the different therapies that you could do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that was a realization moment. Um, and then I would say after about like six months, it was another moment where I was like, okay, this is, this is not going away. Um, and it's kind of getting worse. Uh, and I need to, you know, I, I need to do something about it. For me, the, the symptoms were really physical for the first four to six months, I'd say. And then at around that mark, depression side of it, the mental health side of it started coming in because I think it's partly physiological and then partly like it is depressing. You're like, wow, I I am not doing well and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. It's kind of like a dark, a pretty dark hole. I remember being, yeah, like I'm a pretty happy human being. Um, but I remember being in a hotel room somewhere and just thinking like, I totally understand how somebody would want to commit suicide. Like I was, you know, I'm not, I don't have suicidal tendencies, but if I did, that would have been a bad moment. Um, it must have scared you to think. Yeah, it It did. It was, it was, it was, that was definitely a second realization moment of like, this is, this is beyond just, like physical stuff now and this is something that's like really changing your whole life um yeah so those were that those were kind of the moments for me yeah and I think you know it's just an important conversation to have as well that because I think physical things we can all see you know okay you're not doing good physical but these brain injuries and stuff also have such an impact on your mental health that's I think that's such an important conversation because I don't think a lot of people actually know that or not enough at least and and how to deal with it and from when you realized that how did you start moving on from there and taking care of your mental health yeah I mean so I guess first of all I think it's super important to note that you're right like especially in sport so many people talk about mental health but very few people actually do talk about brain health and brain injuries. And they're so closely linked. And in sport, I would say like a huge percentage of athletes or even just like casual athletes like me or you, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you're much better than I am at most things probably, (laughs) but (laughs) you know, um, if you, if you participate actively in extreme sports, especially or contact sports, chances are you are hitting your head and like those things, even if you're not getting severe concussions and disabling yourself, they do really compound and it can really affect your mental health. And I think that's an important thing to start talking about. And even Mm -hmm. for people who don't play sports, like people who are in car accidents and, or fall down the stairs, whatever it is, um, it's, they're super closely linked and nobody, nobody really talks about it. So I think it's a conversation that should become more common. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, it uh it was not straightforward when you i mean for a long time i wasn't fully thinking straight so i was going through all of this and i was still seeing the vestibular therapist and the functional nutritionist um and the neurologist and i had a opportunity come up to take a full-time job um in austria uh with red bull and i was like that's a great idea with a brain injury. (laughs) Um, I kind of like, it's, it's, 
looking back on the last couple of years, I'm like, none of this makes sense. But you kind of, you just, you're not, you don't, the decisions you make, you're not thinking clearly. And so kind of around that same time that I had this like mental health realization, I decided to move to Austria, which was probably not the best move, but I'm, I'm, everything happens for a reason and I'm glad I did it. Um, Cause doing that got me to a place that was so rock bottom that I, it forced me to be like, okay, I'm invest. Like there's a difference between, you know, seeing a vestibular therapist twice a week and really investing in like a proper rehab. Cause to a certain extent, sometimes that's what is required. Um, and that's expensive and time consuming. And so I, yeah, in Austria, I had a moment where I was like going to the hospital there for some additional checkups. Um, and like, there were some complications. And I remember at one point I couldn't, I like, I I couldn't walk. And I, remember lying on my friend's couch, like my coworker's couch. Cause I was like scared that I was going to die. And I was like, can I come over and just like sleep on your couch? And like, can you help me, you know, function? Cause I can't stand up. And at that point I was just like, this is not okay. No. Um, by any stretch of the imagination, which then in turn, like with massive support from like the, from everyone at Red Bull and like my bosses there, they're like, go and do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself and like, let us know how we can support you. So without that support, I wouldn't have been able to do this, but that support. And I was also working with a um, nonprofit who helped this, I think the same nonprofit that Kelsey worked with actually, who helped kind of fund part of the rehab. I went and did a six week intensive rehab, um, which really did was like the first thing that actually really changed everything and like got me back on track. So it was a bit of a two year process. Um, and even if you, you know, I was obviously not doing well, but I, it took me to do worse to get to that point of being able to invest in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then after that, how long is that ago? That can't be that long ago. Uh, that was, yeah, so that was uh, in July of last year. So it was July of last year. Um, and yeah, it was six weeks. I did two weeks with a um, functional neurologist, which was very vestibular based. So like one of my biggest problems or one of like the biggest issues that triggered a lot of other symptoms was the double vision. So I'm like, I legitimately like had an eye that like got knocked in. So I kind of mm. looked cross-eyed as well. Um, so I did two weeks of kind of like follow the thumb for like eight hours a day, <laughs> oh, which was a lot. Um, yeah. And then an hour and a half in the morning and an hour and a half at night in the hyperbaric chamber. Um, and then combine that with this therapy called PRTMS. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's kind of, it's relatively new, but it's essentially like electromagnetic stimulation. So they put magnets on your head a couple of times a day and zap you. Um, and it like wakes up the neurons. Okay. So you are in that program for six weeks. Yes. So I did that program for six weeks and I came out a new human being. (laughs) That's amazing. So it was like, you can say when you really started like investing in yourself, that was when you started getting better. 100%. I think, you know, everybody's different and like everyone's symptoms are different. Everyone has 
a different rehab course, but I definitely like if you do the work and you're willing to like really invest and put the time in and obviously like the financial thing is tough too, but if there's a way for you to really invest in, in a significant chunk of time dedicated to getting healthy, like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, It's, it's tough because in brain, I guess in the TBI world, so much science is new. You talk to one doctor and they'll tell you to do something. They'll t- you talk to another doctor and they'll tell you the opposite. There's like 40 different therapies that you could try and they're all expensive and time consuming. And it's super confusing when you, you know, have a brain injury to be trying to figure this stuff out. So it's, it's tough, um, but there are resources out there. I really think like Kelsey's, you know, Kelsey's nonprofit Save a Brain, like having a community of people that you can talk to and Mm -hmm. get information from is so important um, because it can definitely be like a lonely and confusing world. Yeah. Did you already know Kelsey when you went through your TBI and and how did, did she help you go through it all? Yeah, I didn't, but I got to know her, I think about six months in, um, she, Chelsea, the functional nutritionist that I was seeing sits on the board for save a brain. Um, and yeah, we got connected and she and I, I mean, I'm just super passionate about what she does and what save a brain does. I think there's really a need for it. And there's so much like for the awareness side of it and the community side of it. Um, and yeah, she's kind of been like my go-to when there's something happens that's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, what was that? Um, Like, you know, yesterday or a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I sent her a text and I was like, do you cry every time you fall down? Cause like every time I, you know, even remotely jiggle my head, I like instantly start sobbing. And it's not like a, I don't want to be crying. It's just like a physiological reaction like your brain has PTSD she was like yeah "Yeah, of course it happens all the time so she's kind of been like my uh my concussion guru friend yeah (laughs) but I think it's so important like no matter what you you go through like that you have someone like you can talk openly um about it with and someone who's also open and share their stories I think and that's why you know we also want to share these stories and these things so um, so we can put more focus on it and hopefully more people will feel like they're not alone. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. I feel like a lot of people, I mean, A, I've been pretty vocal about what's been going on since the start. I kind of, you know, I think I posted something on Instagram when it first happened, like in a joking way, and then it became not a joke pretty quickly. Yeah. But um, a lot of people have been really surprised about like, how much I've talked about it because it is, I don't know. I think it still is a pretty taboo topic, which it shouldn't be because so many people deal with it. It's such a common injury. And like the amount of people that have reached out to me that I know or don't know, um, asking for advice or help, or like I have an email that I send with just like all of the different therapies that I did, you know, where I did them, how much they cost, what they did for me. Um, and like kind of a program and I've probably sent that email to like 40 people. Yeah. 
That's amazing. which is, I mean, it's amazing, but it's also awful. Oh, and like, yeah, like, they can't find it anywhere else. But I think it's amazing that you can inspire because sometimes it's easier to go to a person who's open and vocal about it and who been going through something similar to, you know, go somewhere. I experienced a lot the same when I started opening up about my you know, my accident also like so many people from all over the world suddenly like came to me like to share their stories, even though a lot of the time it had nothing to do with my story, but it was like going through some of the same emotions that I was explaining in my story and stuff. And yeah, and, yeah. and I really liked that people wanted to share that with me and, and it just made me confident that it was the right thing to do to share it. Yeah, I think there's so much value in being vulnerable around situations like this and making sure that like you do, you are open and honest and like willing to talk about it because everyone's story, no matter what it is, can help somebody else. Exactly. And one thing I, you know, I also talk a lot about in my story and, and what I go to is fear. And that's something I would like to ask you about also now you said like, Oh, you have fear every time you fall down. And, and I guess, also been going through this you must also have some fear and anxiety that you know you you're dealing with and how how have you learned to deal with that or how do you you deal with that nowadays or do you have any advice Mm. I think I definitely take a lot more calculated risks now on a on a I think there's I have two answers to that question yeah (laughs) yeah I think I'm more calculated in what I do now um, at the end of the day, hitting my head again at that, like concussions do compound um, or from what I know they compound. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, it's just not an option. Like if, if I, I don't, I don't know if I could physically take it another, something like that again um, or mentally or emotionally. So yeah, I, I, I am, I, I don't like to look at it as fear, but I think I'm just, there's certain limitations that I have now. Like I, you know, I love surfing. I really can't surf very much anymore. Like it's just, I've, I've gotten to a place where I can be in the water on like a two foot day on a log, but mm-hmm. I'm not like, for me, surfing is really difficult because the movement in the ocean like triggers all like that vestibular stuff. Um, and then if you have to duck dive or you wipe out like the pressure and that like washing machine effect of the ocean, it's just not something that like, it just, I feel awful and Mm. it's not something that I can physically really take anymore. So it's, it's, you know, it's definitely a lifestyle change and I wish, I don't think it's fear, but it's a lifestyle change. Um, and you just focus on other stuff. I can still snowboard and I, you know, I'm not going to be like hitting rails, but to be honest, I probably can't hit rails anyways. <laughs> so I think it's just making decisions to change your lifestyle to still mm-hmm. do what you love, um, but not put yourself in a position where like, you know, you're, you could, I mean, everything we do, you can get a brain injury, you walk outside, you get a brain injury, you snowboard, you get a brain injury, but the mm-hmm. chances of that happening if you make the right decisions are less I guess wear a helmet I wear a mouth guard now so if I do fall that actually has a really big impact on like the 
a lot of the time concussions are actually from your jaw, the force of your jaw hitting mouth. So like, yeah, you just make those sort of choices. Um, The other portion of that question for me is, so my, it's not talked about very much, but sometimes traumatic brain injuries or honestly like traumatic physical events can trigger uh, bigger diseases. So in my case, they may or may not see um, like MS in my brain now. So they saw it. They, it's MS is really hard to diagnose, um, but they're like, hey, we see this thing in your brain that could be MS, essentially. Um, and so for me, I have a lot of fear around that um, because it's not that cool not knowing if you have a disease that could or could not debilitate you. But I think that has kind of just made me change my mindset around, um, like, rather than being afraid of the future, it's just made me embrace what I'm doing right now a little bit more and just a little bit, I guess, honestly, a little bit fearless because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you just like, you should make the most and make you should not be afraid of like taking risks because who knows if you're going to be able to take those in the future. And I think whether or not, you know, you maybe have MS or not, that's, it's a de- definitely a different mindset that like, I think more people could probably have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're getting better at like just living in the present and focus on what you're doing and want to like accomplish right now. Yeah. And, you know, if you're presented in your life with like, take a risk or don't, Mm. and the risk is probably worth the reward, take it. Yeah. I think that's a good advice. I live a lot the same way. I I talk a lot about fear. And and for me, it just always starts with kind of like acknowledging that the fear is there. And once I'm like, okay, the fear is there, but then I can kind of decide from there what I want to do with it. If I want to like face it head on, which I usually decide to do, but usually like for me, that's like kind of the first point. Yeah. I think, I think fear is, I don't know, fear is a scary one. It's either debilitating or empowering. Exactly. You can use it as a empowering way if you kind of lean into it, right? Yes. I've never really thought about it like that, but you're totally correct. Fear can be such a negative word but sometimes I feel like you can really learn to use it in a positive way yes (laughs) yeah entirely yeah I think that's both your actions and your perspective yeah exactly well then I would also like to ask you like kind of all this happening how did that because I know you're very like career driven and how did that affect your career I know you decided then to move from Austria back to the States and was it hard for you to kind of take a break from your career or was that like okay it it definitely was hard for me to take a break um Mm -hmm. in those first couple of months uh it was pretty easy because I couldn't do much um and everyone was really understanding that I did work with I had the luxury at the time of being a contractor so Um, or a freelancer so you can kind of build your own schedule obviously the financial implications of not working were a little bit scary but -hmm. you kind of just have to do what you have to do for your health I think um, honestly if there was one thing that like looking back on the last two years if there was one thing that I would have done differently it would have been giving myself more time not Mm -hmm. working um, and probably still even now (laughs) to a certain extent. 
I think for me, work is, I really enjoy it. And so, and it gives me like purpose and drive and it's hard to step away from that. But I think investing in your health and, and, and putting that first, I mean, I had to at a certain point and I was really lucky that, um, like Red Bull, uh, and other clients that I worked with were super understanding and supportive. Um, mm-hmm. Because if I didn't have that, I would, I, I don't think I would have felt the same freedom to, to go mm-hmm. and spend that time and money. But yeah, I think the work was a tough one for me, for sure. It's, yeah. it's now put me in a position, I feel like, I actually look back on, you know, this time period. And I think about like all the different connections that I've made all this whole like different world that has kind of opened up. Um, I mean, my like friendship with Kelsey, I sit on the board for save a brain now. Like there's just so so much more that I look at now and like what I want to do and how I want to impact the world. Um, Like I'm super passionate about you know, spreading awareness around this, especially in sports and to athletes. And so obviously there were times in that, in that two-year process where my work was pretty heavily impacted. Again, I was really lucky that people were supportive of that. Um, But now I think it's been a benefit really more than anything. Um, I mean, ideally people that you don't have to you know, have a brain injury to like be able to like self-assess where you're going and where you want to go. But I think like now it's kind of just changed the direction of my life in every way, but also in terms of like what I want to do with my career and the impact that I want to make. That's great. So like learning to look at it as, uh, in a positive way and trying to be- take the best out of it. You definitely have to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Otherwise it's going to consume you, right? Um, yeah, but I do But I do think everything, ha- I mean, I know it sounds really lame, but I do think everything happens for a reason. And yeah. as like difficult as the last couple of years have been, I'm so, I would be, I think like, like you said, I am pretty career driven and it took something like this for me to calm down and mm-hmm. like reassess like, okay, I'm putting, I'm going to put myself first. I still care about my work. Um, Mm -hmm. but like I have such a better work-life balance now. I have such a better mindset around like just life in general. Um, and I think, yeah, Yeah. I think everything happens for a reason. No, but I think that's true. And I think also for me, you know, like it's kind of, you have that big event happening and it kind of forces you to stop up and maybe think about, okay, am I actually going in the right direction? Am I, Am I really where I want to be? And sometimes it's sad that it, you have to have like a big traumatic event like that to kind of take that step back and look at it. But um, yeah, I I totally agree. I'm glad yeah. that you've reached that same point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, I also, um, now in the end, I have like some questions that I always ask everybody who's on the, the podcast. And um, one of them is, if you have one uh, person, like it can be an athlete, a non, non-athlete, like someone who's really like inspired you, someone who kind of uh, inspired you to be where you are today. Hmm. Putting you on the spot here. Such a tough question. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I think I have different inspirations for different things. Um, my mom inspires me to be a good person and a positive person 
I have a lot of different people that have inspired me in different ways in my career. Um, I think it's, and, and I have different people who inspire me in sport to like get outside and to push myself. Um, I think it's really tough to pin down one person. Yes. I don't know, but no. I think it's, yeah, I think you can draw inspiration from a lot of different people in your life, but I guess, you know, at the end of the day, my mom. Yeah. Oh, that's very nice. <laughs> a great answer. Hi, mom. <laughs> yeah. She has to listen now. <laughs> like, yeah. Shout out. Um, and then I also uh, wanted to ask you if you have a routine for your mental health. Do you have something every day you do uh, for your mental health? Yes, I have a couple of things. Um, the first thing and probably like the most important thing that I've found is I have this... Uh, I have this daily gratitude journal that I write in. It's called the five minute journal and it it's, you write in it in the morning and the night. And it's honestly like, I'm not sponsored by them, but it's by intelligent change and like legitimately probably the single most like important thing that I've done to like impact my mental health and my attitude towards life in the morning. It uh, asks you uh, what you're grateful for, what would make today great and like ask you to write a daily affirmation. And I think like what would make today great really like helps you subconsciously make your day better. Um, like you set an intention for the day. And then at the end of the day, it asks you um, what were your highlights of the day and what did you learn today, which I think is really great. And I, it like doing that daily has like, truly changed my attitude towards life even um in like bad times so highly recommend that and then I also am a big proponent of like cold water therapy stuff so if I can I'll do like a five minute cold water ice bath or jump in a lake or something um but if I can't even just finishing a shower with cold water for 30 seconds makes a big difference I used to have pretty bad like a panic attacks and the cold water has really helped me regulate my breathing and like get my body used to responding in a healthy way. Yeah, I would say those two things and then for your brain health there's I actually I ha I drink uh salt water and lemon in the mornings. It's like salt water. basic Yeah. 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 There's there's a particular kind of salt that has um like trace minerals in it. Oh, and yeah, okay. So it's kind of like a natural electrolyte drink in the morning, which just helps you stay hydrated. It's kind of counterintuitive that salt water would help you stay hydrated, but yeah. I swear I'm not crazy. <laughs> all right. I'll have to, I'm going to read up on that. These things is that also your morning routine. And I think a lot of like everybody I ask on the podcast is always when I ask them this, they kind of just tell me their morning routine or do you have anything else you add to your morning routine? Um, no, the journal and I do my best not to look at my phone at least for the first 30 minutes or mm -hmm. whatever period of time I am capable of doing that morning. Um, but that also from a mental health standpoint is huge. If yeah. I wake up and start scrolling, it's, it's a bad day. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Everybody I ask about that always, you know, mention their morning routine. And yeah, I'm saying it again. It's just so important to start the day in a good way. And then yeah. you kind of have the foundation for the day, I guess. 
Oh, 100%. If I write in this journal, take a shower, finish it with cold water, and then have a salt water and lemon, it's going to be a cracking day. <laughs> well done. Did you already have that today, even though I will be up very early for this? Um, This morning wasn't quite so great. I. <laughs> it's hard. It is hard when you travel to like do all of these things. Um, and I just got back from a trip last night. And um, yeah, it's it's been a bit of a chaotic morning. Mm-hmm. But I will say the journal you can bring everywhere. So yeah. And uh, Mimi, it's like, it's been super interesting to like hear your story. And thanks for sharing. And thanks for being so vulnerable. And and setting focus on these things um if people want to follow more about what you're doing how can they like follow along is that like linkedin or instagram something like that yeah um i mean you can just search my name mimi lamontaine i have an instagram um and i have a linkedin if you want to follow me but i definitely don't really post anything on there (laughs) Um, but i do post occasionally on instagram and then you should also follow save a brain um yeah i sit on their board and they are a great wealth of knowledge and Mm -hmm. just like community around brain injuries and also um you know anyone who wants to chat or like has questions or is keen to know more about the rehab process feel free to reach out to me. Um, Instagram is the easiest. Um, Just, yeah, search my name, Amy LaMontagne, and you'll find me. Yeah, thank you. I'll also put the the link down here. uh, Perfect. So everybody can find you. And is there anything in the end you'd like to add? Anything you feel like you, something important you want to say that you haven't come across? Well, I think you said a lot of good points, so it's not that anything is missing. It was just if you had something on your heart. No, I don't think so. I guess I just want to say to you, like, congratulations on, you know, starting this podcast and going out on on your own and, and, and chasing what you want. And it's inspiring Mm -hmm. in itself. So thanks. Thank you. And thank you for being on here. It was really, really fun to chat and get to know you a bit better. Of course. Um,